Welcome to the Taking the Leap podcast, where you can learn how to launch your full-time career in this part-time gig economy. No matter what career you're in, you have the potential to be the best version of you and overcome whatever obstacles stand in your way. And now, here's your host, the CEO of Bonvera, Bob Dickey. Uh, this morning, I have the distinct honor of interviewing two uh, really close friends of mine, uh, business partners and associates, Raquel and Mark Williams from Napa, California. Both of them have really interesting backgrounds. And I'm really looking forward to this interview and this podcast because I think we're going to tease out a lot of really interesting things for entrepreneurs who are on their journey and folks who are taking the leap. You know, we had the opportunity last night to speak with you guys. We had a great steak dinner here in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, and we just had a wonderful time. I think we closed down the restaurant. But, you know, Raquel, just to give a little bit of background you know, on you, you you've been a serial entrepreneur in your life. You're a uh, just a phenomenal speaker, teacher, mentor. Uh, you've had a really diverse entrepreneurial background, successes in a whole host of different areas. Uh, I want to talk about some of them. I mean, you, everything from singer-songwriter early in your career to top saleswoman for uh, a hair club for men, if I'm not mistaken. So the number in, in Los Angeles, California, you sold hair to bald guys. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And, of course, you're doing some great things right now, not only with uh, Bonvera, but also with a, a startup ice cream company in the, the, the Bay Area that, that seems to be doing some groundbreaking things. And then, of course, your husband, Mark. I absolutely love speaking with you, Mark. I mean, you're kind of a guy after my own heart. I mean, not only, you have public service is in your DNA. A police officer for uh, the city of San Francisco, been on the, the SWAT team, a detective. Just really cool stories and things that you've learned in your career in the criminal justice system serving and protecting people uh, in the, the city of San Francisco. I, I, one of my favorite experiences is driving with you because I guess you know everybody. I remember one time you and I were, uh, you were going to give me a ride to the airport and it was, we were in Napa. It was uh, super early in the morning and I was afraid I was going to miss my flight back to the East Coast. And you're like, don't worry, Bob, I got this. And I, you drove like the wind. I mean, it was like, and nobody pulled you over. We got there to the airport on time. I was like, this is awesome. I got to have a police officer give me an escort uh, whenever I travel. But it's just, it's awesome to have both of you guys here. And I know that our listeners are going to learn a lot from you both. So Raquel, let's start with you. I'd like to tell me a little bit about your journey. You're a serial entrepreneur. And one of the things that I really appreciate about you is that anytime we start talking, you, you dive into the mindset of a person, the mindset and the mental attitude and why that is so important to be successful in life. When did you discover that and how do you refine that? I mean, what, what, tell me a little bit about your journey and the, and the, the power of mindset for you. Wow. Okay. So very early on, I um, ended up not living with my parents and I went to live with my sister mm -hmm. and, and that caused me to have to grow up very quickly. And, um, you know, I was working by the age of 13 years old and, uh, learned by 16, I was pretty much signing for myself, taking care of myself. So very early on independence was something i I had to adopt. Mm -hmm. So in, in terms of, of mindset, I guess, I guess for me, you know, when, when challenges arise in my life, I was always the kind of person, even as a child, that 
I needed to figure out how to get out of it. I was not the kind of girl that stayed stuck in a situation. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. I didn't like how it felt. I didn't like. So I very quickly was like, okay, so what do I need to do now? I kind of always had that as a child. And going into my early adult years, I I got married very young. And by the time I was 26, I I was getting a divorce. And but I was a mom. Mm -hmm. And I had a young son. And I worked for a company in Los Angeles where I was already managing a staffing agency. But as an employee, I felt the restrictions of being a single mom now and having to be there at a certain time and having to stay until a certain time. The nine to five being tied down and being very restrictive. Yes. And I guess it was okay when I was married and we were sharing a lot of the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But when I became a single mom, I very quickly learned that it it wasn't going to work for me. I mm-hmm. felt like daycare was raising my son and mm-hmm. I had no time. And I, um, I, I was watching the, another division in our, our in our office, which mm-hmm. is a, which was full time commission, and these girls kind of came in and out as they wanted. They had their own schedules. They weren't punching the clock. They didn't have to be there at you know eight o'clock in the morning. And freedom and flex- flexibility. Yeah, and at that point, I I wasn't I didn't really know a lot about entrepreneurialism, but in my mind, I'm like, well, I how do I get that freedom? How do I not have to punch a clock and they're making more money than I am? Mm-hmm. How can I make more money and not have to be here at an exact time for eight, nine, ten hours a day? Because I'm a mom and I'm a single mom now. So how do I make this work? So I remember going over to my boss and saying, you know, I, I want to look at doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want that position over there. And they uh, very quickly suggested against it. They didn't think it was a good idea for me. Really? Why? Because I was a single mom and it was a hundred percent commission. And if I didn't produce, there was no money. Mm. So um, they looked at me and said, I, you know, Raquel, we really don't think that's for you. Why don't you sleep on it? I said, okay. So I did. Next morning, I walked right back into the office and I said, okay, I want to talk to you. And they said, okay. Um, and they're thinking I'm going to agree with them and right. say, you know what? You're right. It's probably not a good idea. Safety and, I, and security is more important. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked at them and said, all right, let's do it. And they both, my, my boss and the manager <laughs> looked at me and they said, are you sure? I said, yeah. And they said, okay, why don't we do this? Why don't we do a trial basis? Mm-hmm. And I said, um, and they said, why don't we give you, uh, you know, a certain certain base, mm-hmm. and then a certain commission, and then you can work your way. And I was kind of doing the numbers in my head, and I thought, well, I got to give you sixty percent of what I produce. You're only going to give me thirty percent. Yeah, but we're giving you a base. And I, I said, no, I don't want to do that. And they're looking at me like <laughs> I'm crazy. Yeah. And they're they're like Raquel, we just. And I said, no, just let me do it. Yeah. So they said, okay. All right. And they let me do it. And so I found myself in this 100% commission position and I had to produce. Right. And so I went to my boss and I said, you have done this job before. And he said, yeah. And I said, I need you to tell me exactly what I need to do. Ooh, that was a great insight. So he looked at me and I think he thought this was going to turn me off. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're going to have to make at least 100 calls a day. And you're going to have to do it every day. 
What were, you, what were the calls? This was a staffing agency, so you were trying to place employees for maybe different companies within Los Angeles, is that it? Okay. This was an, a boutique firm in Los Angeles. We dealt with all high-end clientele in entertainment, investment banking, those sorts of clients. And um, and yeah, so he he says, well, if you're gonna, so I, essentially I had to go so build my cold, own clientele. You're cold calling. Cold calling. A hundred clients a day. Hey, we've got a service for you, or how, we, how can we help you? Okay. Yes, wow. and I've never done it before. You've got some guts, girl. <laughs> so I, I, I was determined because I felt lost at that point. Like I couldn't be a mom. I felt like I, I couldn't go when my son had a show at school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was made to feel like I had to be there, and or I risked my job. Mm-hmm. And the pressure was a lot for me. And I rather have the other pressure because I always felt like. Let me go do what I think I can do. Don't tell me what you right. think I can do. Yeah. And so, um, so I, I locked myself in this office. I pulled out the book of lists. I started making phone calls. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. No idea. I got more people hanging up on me saying, no, didn't even let me get my spiel out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd start halfway in. Yeah, no thanks. Click. Mm-hmm. And a um, hundred calls are a lot. Yeah. And I didn't realize until you actually start doing it. And so I started to get myself into a rhythm. And I just would call and call and call and call and call and call and call. I didn't even take a break for lunch. Like I didn't come out of that office. For at least the first four days, I um, got no results. Mm-hmm. Now you can imagine what my mind was doing at this point. Well, to tell, tell, tell me what you're thinking. I started. Like, I, I started having all the doubt. I started feeling did I make like the wrong decision. Yep. I started feeling like maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe they were right. I remember walking out to the restroom, and two of my good friends in the office stopped me, and they looked at me, and they were like, and they really cared about me, and mm-hmm. and I know they do, and I love them dearly, but they looked at me like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, Raquel, what are you doing? Like, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. And and I remember my heart just sank because. Mm-hmm when you're doing everything that you know to do mm-hmm. and you you take that leap of faith and you just go for it but it doesn't appear to be working then that's when all the doubt will set in and start telling you maybe i made a mistake maybe they were right maybe they knew something i didn't know maybe i shouldn't have done this maybe all that starts happening mm-hmm. and uh i looked at my friends and i just shook my head and i'm like i'm okay and i walk right back into that office on day four, I'm going through my 100 calls. I don't know what number it was, but I call an entertainment firm. And she answers the phone, and I go through my spiel. Hi, you know, my name is Raquel, and I'm just introducing myself. I'm a brand-new recruiter in the area, and I just kind of made up my own little pitch. And mm-hmm. this lady on the other end says, oh, wow, what great timing. And I remember I just kind of fell back in my seat, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she says, yeah, I actually need a couple of people right now. And can you come right now? And I said, I will be right there. And I got her information. I hung up, I grabbed my bag, I grabbed my stuff and I start running out of the office and I see my boss look at me. I'm like, I got one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Tell me about that, that feeling. It was, I mean, it's interesting as I'm watching you talk about this experience. I mean, this is what, 20, 25 years ago? Yep. 
you, you walked in here, sat down, we're having a conversation. I can visibly see you like get emotional thinking about this like very pivotal moment in your journey. I can see the emotion in your face. I mean, it's almost as if like you're reliving it for the, it was just like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. I can totally still feel the emotion because there was, I called and called and called and I can honestly tell you, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just knew I couldn't quit. Mm, yeah. So when I got the yes, I ran and you know, I got in front of her, we started talking and I got, I think I got like two orders from her that day. And not only did I get the orders, see in our office, you would get an order, you open it up to the office. And if you landed the account, anybody else could fill it and you split it mm -hmm. or you double end the deal and you land the account and you filled, fill the account. I did both on that one. Wow. So in my first year, I ended up making almost $100,000 and I was a baby recruiter and this was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. That was really good money. So that was a lot more than what you were making previously. Oh yeah. And, and I learned a valuable lesson because that one yes, mm -hmm. after making over 400 calls, led me to a whole different career and it also taught me a very valuable lesson about what I'm capable of and what it takes and not to listen to well-intended people who might mm -hmm. care about you. They cared about me. They knew of my situation. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to see me fail, mm -hmm. but I learned to follow my own gut instinct and, um, and not allow anyone to tell me what I wasn't capable of. And that was a huge lesson for me which opened the door, I think, to entrepreneurialism and having the courage to take those leaps of faith when everyone else is looking at you like you're crazy and what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Did you, so it was, was that moment of time kind of a springboard for all the other entrepreneurial pursuits that you've, you've done? Because, I mean, you've taken the leap, it sounds like, multiple times in your career. And my, the way I look at it is each time you take one of those leaps, you, you, it's almost like you get stronger and you, it's easier to take the next one, right? It's, I think the first one is like, so someone who's not an entrepreneur, someone who has been in a kind of a traditional nine to five, uh, work in the corporate ladder. I think the very first time someone says, you know what, I'm going to take this leap and go out and do it by myself. It's the hardest. And then it gets a little bit easier, a little bit easier, you know, as you're, as you're doing that, did you, is that a similar experience that you felt? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I think that one experience left such a mark on me in terms of having the courage to take risk. Mm -hmm. Because if I didn't take that risk, I would have, number one, I think I would have betrayed myself because I really had a desire to do it. And I felt like I could do it. But had I listened to the voices around me that didn't have that same faith in me at mm -hmm. that time, then I would have limited the, the mom I could have been. I would have limited the opportunity I had. I would have limited how much money I could make. I would have limited the awesome experience of going through what feels like failure and then getting a win. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have experienced that, which would have probably kept me in the bucket of staying as an employee where, where I was taught to feel that that was safe. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it was a cage. It mm -hmm. wasn't safe. Mm -hmm. It didn't allow me to to be or do what i wanted to do so if i wanted more freedom then i had to jump over here you know you know what i mean mm -hmm. 
And so it, it taught me a huge lesson, not only in my ability, but what it really takes to start a new endeavor and, and, um, and not, to, not to listen to people, even if they love you and they're well-intended. Mm-hmm. If you've got a gut feeling, if you've got a desire, if you've got a, a, a wish, a hope, a dream, whatever you want to call it, you got to just go for it and give mm-hmm. it all you got. It taught me that. So that led me into whenever else opportunity presented itself. I had that win. Mm-hmm. And that win told me I could do it. I could do it, I could do it. As crazy as it may have looked, yeah. I had that piece in me, that one, so it would stand up and say, no, you can do it, remember, yeah. remember? Remember that, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, in, in my career, I've had uh, similar type experiences where anytime that I was about ready to make uh, a substantial leap, career pivot, do something different, I've had people in my life that were very close to me, well-intentioned, you know, trying to, oh, Bob, are you sure? Are, are you sure this is what you want to do? Oh, you can't do that. And, you know, I've had to, uh, and I've had some good counsel and mentors as well. And so, I, I've, and so I've done this a number of times to where I know the, the right counselors and mentors to seek out advice. People who have either walked that path before you and uh, are, are a little bit further down the road in their career who can give, you know, sage wisdom and advice versus somebody who is well-intentioned but literally has never done it and yet they're trying to speak into it and if i had listened there's multiple multiple times in my career that if i had listened to well-intentioned individuals who really did care for me but literally had no clue uh of all the ins and outs and the subtle nuances of what i was going to try to do i would have missed my greatest opportunities and uh, I've actually had conversations with some of those individuals, right? And I'd be like, hey, remember when you gave me this advice? And I was like, this is what's going on. And be like, yeah, you know, I, I didn't see that. I was like, I know, I know. But I had another mentor who did, right? So it's it's so important because we're going to, everybody who is listening to this podcast, no matter what you do in life, whatever decision you make, you're going to have people who are you know, going to speak into it. Now, look, I'm a, a huge believer that there's, as the Bible says, a wisdom and a multitude of counselors, right? I, I never make an important decision without seeking out good counsel, but you got to make sure you're asking the right people. That's right. And I think too, in terms of mentorship, like you're saying, you know, my boss at the time, I originally was hired um, as a, you know, as a staffing agent and, um, you know, I think I was making 10 or 11 bucks an hour at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was probably doing that for about six months to a year when my manager left on maternity leave. And before she left, she looked at me and she said, I want you to know I'm not coming back. And this is when I first got started with them. Mm-hmm. And so I had very little experience. I, um, just because of my childhood and leaving home very young and um, school really wasn't my thing. I had to provide for myself very early in life. And, and so I, I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't have all the credentials people have and I didn't go to college and I didn't do all that stuff. So there was that piece of me that felt inadequate or insecure. Mm-hmm. And so when my manager at the time was leaving and she said, I want you to know I'm not coming back and I'm putting you in um, as the one I think could, should take my position. As excited as I was, I looked at her and I said, I don't think I'm the right person. It just came out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I'm the right, it was this fear that came over me because I knew where I had come from. Mm -hmm. And like, like, I'm not qualified. I don't have all these other things behind my name that other people would have. Right. 
And so it just came right out of your mouth. It just came out of my mouth. Why, did, why was she putting you in? Because she said that she saw something in me and she knew that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what she saw because at that time I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. But I, I just said, Shauna, I, I, I really don't think I'm the person. You know, I don't. And she says, I already told, uh, you know, Michael, who was the owner of the, of the company, and he's going to talk to you today. And so she just convinced me to shush (laughs) and to to let the process happen. You got this. You got this, right? (laughs) And and so he came in to talk to me, and I ended up accepting the position with my heart pounding out of my chest. Like, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, he's going to find out. I don't know what I'm doing. He's going to, like, I didn't have a lot of belief in myself. Um, And this is early in my staffing career. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, he took me under his wing and I didn't know about mentorship. I didn't know about, I didn't know a lot about a lot. Mm-hmm. And he took this little shy little girl that was afraid to, you know, speak up mm-hmm. that really didn't see a lot in herself that, um, didn't have a lot of confidence. And he kept telling me what he saw in me and I had never had someone to do that. And so it, it started to build my belief in myself. Mm-hmm. And he would take me out on these big, big meetings. These, these, you know, we'd get in front of investment banking firms and, and he'd put on these presentations to land the account. And then one day I'm in the car with him and he says, you're up. I said, what do you mean I'm up? He's like, it's your turn. You're presenting today. I wanted to open the door to that car. And throw up, and probably. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? No way. I can't do this. And the I'm impromptu presentation. Oh my gosh. I was like sweating bullets. Yeah. Um, but it was the best thing he could have ever done for me because yeah. I landed the account and he started to just develop me and speak life into me and encourage me and put me in situations that were super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And um and I started to grow. I started to, to develop in these areas that I didn't even know existed inside mm-hmm. of me. And so I am a super believer in mentorship, even though I wouldn't have known to even call it that back then. Mm-hmm. But he changed my life. He, he took me from somebody I thought I was, which wasn't very much. Mm-hmm. I didn't think very much of myself back then. And he developed me into, I believe, gave me the courage to be who I am today, and I'm super grateful to him. Wow. You know, one of, one of the things that you, you shared earlier, you, you, you mentioned that you felt inadequate when you were getting that opportunity. And I, I'd like, tell me what you were doing, some of the, 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 the characteristics or qualities of you that you believe you were displaying that opened up that door for your boss to put you in there. And then your, your inadequacy is so many people struggle with that. I mean, I I've known top performers, whether it's, you know, star athletes, you know, successful CEOs. And when you kind of talk to them privately, if they open up to you behind closed doors, it'll come out. There's like, I feel inadequate about this, or I feel right. Why is it that you, that, we so many people struggle with that inadequacy. I mean, do you have you a- analyzed that at all in terms of maybe yourself or maybe what you've discovered on your journey? Because I think that you're speaking to something that a lot of people listening, every everybody struggles with that. And here you had this inadequacy feeling, right? But you had a mentor and somebody who coached you along and helped you and spoke life into you, and 
you blossomed into this all-star performer for this company. I've just, what, what, tell me a little bit about that journey. It, it's a really great question because if you would have asked me back then, I had no clue. Mm -hmm. But over the years, doing a lot of um, just personal growth and becoming a sponge and a reader and really wanting to even just understand myself. Mm -hmm. um, what, what I've learned about where that inadequacy for me came from was being a child that never felt that no matter what I did, and I love my parents. I, I, this is not a blame to them or a mm -hmm. dig to them. We, they're simply a byproduct of their own environment, and I'm mature enough to, to look at that and know that. But I didn't feel that anything I ever did as a child um, was good enough to the point that when I had to leave my home because of religious chaos, mm -hmm. there was a piece of me as a child that felt like they were willing to let me go because I wasn't worth loving. Mm. So I think we all take stuff from our childhood that there's a little there's there was a little Raquel, there's a little Bob, you know, there's yeah. there's a little Mark. There's there's a child in us that um, that never fully resolved some of the the the, the feelings and the uh, emotional wounds. And so we grow into these adults, but that piece of us, that wound was never healed. That child is still with us. That child is still with us. And that child was the piece of me that felt inadequate, that felt unworthy to be loved, that felt unworthy to um, succeed, that felt stupid because I didn't get the degrees in college and I didn't go, that felt, you know, all those things. And back then I didn't know that. Today I know that just because of all the digging I've done into mm -hmm. myself and learning in this area to understand um, because that feeling, that emotion will rear its ugly head in other situations. There are triggers that cause these things to uh, rise up in us. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just that experience that I had, but through my life, that, that very same inadequacy, that, that fear, that feeling of not being good enough continues to rise its ugly head mm -hmm. until we actually go in. You know, it's, it's, it's going in and it's not an easy process. It takes courage to, to go back into those wounds, um, so that we can heal them, you know, and, mm -hmm. and move forward. But that's where they come from. They're, they're, they're just wounds that we never took, took the time, but most of the time is because we don't know how mm -hmm. we don't have the tools to, um, to be able to deal with those wounds and, and, um, and heal them. Well, one of the things that you shared last night over dinner was the fact that you really enjoy coaching and mentoring people. And in the, the years that uh, we've been friends, I mean, I've seen you on stage all across the country, you know, giving presentations. You're a powerful communicator. You're extremely effective. I think uh, it, and you bring this emotion uh, that a lot of times I think communicators don't want to like show the emotion, right? Just as they want to kind of be stoic and it's just like, Hey, let's talk about data. But you allow the emotion of the, what you're communicating flow from you. And I think you connect with the audience, but you said that this is something that you relish. You absolutely love doing is, and do you think that that traces all the way back to that very first boss who spoke life into you and kind of helped you? It sounds like that was a pivotal moment in your career that started it gave you the confidence that helped, you know, springboard you 
And I see you doing that with other people and you're communicating and you're teaching and so forth. Is, is, do you feel that you get joy out of that and that's why? Absolutely. I think, I think definitely because I have been able to overcome a lot of things in my life and, and the older I get, understand where they come from and really wrap my head around what happened, mm-hmm. what happened to me in my early years, what, what, what's happened to me in, in, you know, the time of my life now. And, um, because I have been able to kind of pull myself out of the pit, so to speak, mm-hmm. I often would tell my husband, you know, broken knows broken. And when mm. I sit with another woman or I sit, I, mm. I can, I know. You can, can look in their s- eyes, I you can know. sense it. Yep. Yes. And um, a lot of times I'll speak something into that woman's life right then and there. And we might be talking business, but I'll, she'll say something and I will shoot something at her and they'll just break down in tears. And I know I got them. Mm-hmm. Not to make them cry, but because I know that unless someone brought an awareness to me, I could never deal with that specific thing. Mm-hmm. And so I get such a joy from being able to connect with someone and hit those points that they need to become aware of so mm-hmm. that they can begin to heal in that area. Because mm-hmm. if we're blinded to it, oh, sure. then then there there is no uh, there's no working on it. There's mm-hmm. no... Um, dealing with it. And so when I see this brokenness in someone, my heart just goes out and I just, I just want to grab them and, and just yeah. start this journey with them right. and give them information that I know is going to make a difference in their life so that they can come up out of it. And I very much have a passion for that. Well, I, I've witnessed you uh, speaking life into people and encouraging folks. And I know that you have impacted hundreds, if not thousands of uh, folks around the country and uh, on their journey. So I just want to say thank you for being willing to do that. There's a lot of folks who go through challenging times in life, and but they they kind of keep it. They don't they don't want to talk about it. They, and I think that that's a um, it's sad because I think someone who's gone through something and then learned is in such a better place to be able to help people around them in their life and help others who are just starting on that journey, right? Yeah, I want to. I want to come back to you and, and and hear some more about because I I want to learn about you being the number one hair saleswoman for bald guys in Los Angeles. But I want to I want to turn to your husband Mark, who's been sitting right next to you. And so it's been interesting as we've been because um, I just want to ask you a question. So here's Mark. I mean, this, so for those people who have never seen or met uh, Mark Williams. This guy looks like a bulldog, right? I mean, this guy, uh, it looks like he spends most of his time in the gym. He's completely ripped. He's a San Francisco police officer on the SWAT team. Looks like he could uh, storm the beaches of Normandy at any moment. And he's sitting next to you, Raquel. And the entire time you're talking, the guy is crying like a little baby. And he's over here wiping tears out of his eyes. And I'm like, so Mark, tell me what's what's going on. I mean, you've uh, um, literally emotions. You still got tears in your eyes. What's going on? Yeah, you, you've the emotions just coming out. I was I was around her watching her be a single mom. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a household where my mom was a single mom. Mm-hmm. So I see the fight in her, and I respect it. Mm. But I'm in an admiration of her fight. Mm. And uh, I mean, I, I can feel that emotion when she speaks it. So every time she knows this, 
He's a big bear. Big <laughs> yeah. I just respect that, admire it, and I recognize that it was she worked so hard to get through her stuff so she can provide mm-hmm. for her son. So, so you, you you had a front row seat watching this journey. Yeah, right? I came in. Uh, I came in at a point where I, I think I met her six months after um, her and her first husband split up, and uh, you know I got to be around her because we would. She was in Los Angeles, I was in San Francisco, and uh, I would we were dating, and I would fly down or drive down to see her and, and watch her be this this corporate executive and, and work hard and and a superwoman superwoman you know from working hard and well, actually getting up early and making breakfast for her son getting him ready for school and then going to work and then coming home after picking him up and the whole night i was there and got to see it in in little bits uh, bites of time and it was just uh something that was a very very attractive to me mm-hmm. because she was doing it all and without any without anything any any interruption um, and she was very focused and I, I respected that, you know, I, I could see, you know, it, it's interesting cause you, you, you are attracted to what you grew up around and my mom mm-hmm. is the very same way. You know, my mom was a single mom with my sister and I, mm-hmm. so, you know, I just, uh, admired and respected her fight, her grit and she was going after it. How did you support her in those early, those early days? You know, I just. I wanted to just make sure that she had what she needed to succeed, mm-hmm. whatever that was. Maybe, you know, because we talked a lot. We had to, you mm-hmm. know, because we were, we were in a relationship long distance. And uh, we would spend a lot of time on the phone. Um, and we would try to see each other as much as we could. You know, luckily for me, she had ties to the Bay Area. Her family lived in San Bruno, which was close to San Francisco, where I worked. So she would come back. She would come around and to see her family. And that was the advantage that I had to spend more time with her. That's awesome. Yeah. Raquel, how, how early on in the, the relationship, um, how, how did you say, I just love watching the two of you as a couple, you're a power couple, right? And you just love and support each other and compliment each other in so many unique ways. How it, early in the relationship, um, what attracted you to Mark and how are you, you know, kind of supporting him? Cause he, he, he's got a, a fairly aggressive career, right? It's very demanding. And you guys were able to not only, but you have a, a demanding career. He has one. You live in separate cities. How did you? How did you guys make this work? Well, I think, you know, er, early on because I met him six months after mm-hmm. I was going through this divorce. For me, I I wasn't as willing as he was in the beginning because mm-hmm. I was dealing with a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. right? But Mark's love for me was was bigger than my junk mm-hmm. and it really was going to take someone like that in my life if it was going to work because i was the one who could shut you off and shut you out in a heartbeat you know you learn to do that um as survival mm-hmm. right growing yeah. up and just mm-hmm. going through some stuff and you kind of learn how to just shut yourself off mm-hmm. and i became uh, really good at it <laughs> so i i think really um mark brought a softness to me that I didn't I didn't know. And and it's funny cuz you're talking about big strong SWAT cop, you know, yeah. guy da, da, but he he softened my edges. And it was something that I needed. I needed someone whose love was bigger than my edges. And mm. and and for me, um it kept me going back to him because I could blow people out pretty quickly. And it's a defense mechanism. Right. Right. And um I think he could see past it, mm-hmm. 
and was willing to love me through it. And um, all honesty, that's, I think, how we ended up together. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that, so here, here you are, and you, you've just stated that you learned how to close people off, close doors, shut doors yeah. as a defense mechanism. And the guy sitting next to you is a SWAT police officer <laughs> who's trained to do what? Kick down doors, yes. right? Yes. But instead, but the, the way it, it, it sounds like the way he kicked down those doors that you were putting up were not the proverbial, you know, foot on a door, but just being, being present. You said the, 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 the love, the support. Tell me how he kicked down those, because I would imagine you probably put up some of those doors. How did he kick down those doors and, 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 and get to you? Okay, so full disclosure here is I I ended up um, walking away from the relationship. I had moved to the Bay Area. I ended up walking away, and we didn't see each other for a whole year. I wasn't very nice, and um, and uh, you know I won't go into the whole story here. But a year later, in that year, you know I had dated a couple of people and mm. and so forth. Um, but I never stopped thinking about who Mark was because there was just something very different about him and me mm-hmm. than me with someone else. Like he, again, brought something out in me that um, not very many people ever did. Mm-hmm. And so that whole year went by, but when we reconnected, that the day that I saw him again, it has now been 20 years since that day. Wow. And we're going on 18 years married this next month, November. Wow. And so, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, and I remember him looking at me, you know, and just saying, you know, you, you trying to get my attention and we both laughed. And from that day forward, we've been together. So again, I think his love for me was just bigger than my junk. I needed time to process out some of the stuff I was going through, but Mark had a way of making me feel safe, mm-hmm. which as a child, I didn't feel. You know, he is he is strong and he is, you know, in chaos, he's calm. I needed that calmness. He he can, it, the, the, the stuff can hit the fan around him and he gets into a zen. And it's almost like, it's like this, you ever see like, um, what's that movie with the guy that? Oh, um, yeah. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, yeah. What, yeah, what, Matrix, yeah, Matrix, right? Yeah, How everything, bending around bending the, around the, the bullets, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, that's Mark in chaos where I'm the, ah! And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And Mark is the calm. Like mm-hmm. he just kind of, I think that was a great compliment to me. I needed that calmness in my life. Mm-hmm. I needed the sense of stability. Like somebody loved me enough mm-hmm. to no matter what the junk was and what the stuff was, that they were going to be solid for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I have to say that's that's what he's been for me. He's He's been that that rock for me. Wow. Well, it's it's interesting the the process that that calmness and that strength and that peace relationships need it businesses also need it right I mean it just seems like no matter what situation you put yourself in the uh, that type of leadership is is needed and you know whether it's in you know like I said relationships business government you know, leaders rise to the top and it's, you know, I just, and, and I, you, you personify that with me, Mark, because when we've gotten, we've gotten together and we talk, we've, you've shared with me some of the, the, the stories that you've had, whether in the prison systems of California or as a, you know, police officer in San Francisco, it's just, you personify just that, you know, cool under pressure guy who rises to the occasion. 
So just it's interesting to see how you've used that in all aspects of your life. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. It's you're put through you're put in, in different, these different environments, you know, in whatever career path you mm-hmm. choose, and in these environments, uh, I was sharing this last night with you guys. It's you know, there's different ways to do different things, and you watch people that you admire, respect, or you know, in my world, they were field training officers that would you would encounter, and they would. They're there to show you how to, you know, execute on the things that you were taught in the police academy, you know, show you the rope, so to speak. And you go out on the street and you perform and then you take different things from different people, things that you like. And they tell you this in the academy, you'll find these different training officers that you'll encounter. And obviously there's certain metrics that you have to meet in order to pass. But there's also things that they're going to do that you may not feel comfortable doing, Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, you know the basics when how you, how you're talking to people, how you address people, those types of things, you know, everything's always fluid when you're out in the street. And then, you know, you'll take the things that you like and then you'll leave the things that you don't like, and then you'll build your own style. And that's the point. But I find that, you know, for everybody, you know, we've had these examples in front of us, like Raquel said, as since we were kids mm-hmm. and we have these exposures and they mark us and they, they have a, they have an experience, you've had an experience with different people and through your journey, you recognize that looking back on those things that were the markers in the road, so to speak. And these, these were big points uh, of where you could either go left, go right, mm-hmm. or go backwards out of fear. But, you know, I tend to move forward because I want to see what's next for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I started to do that, I started to develop uh kinship to learning that um, from other people and being around you know my mom was a great example because she worked in a doctor's office she was the the the, the greeter so mm-hmm. to speak and so she'd come in and you, you you know as a kid I got to spend time in her office after school we'd go there my sister and I'd have to go there and wait for her to get off work and so we'd sit there and she would example that and she treated everybody the same mm-hmm. and in San Francisco it's such a melting pot and right. she didn't speak Russian she didn't speak uh Taiwanese, she didn't speak Chinese, she didn't, you know, and so trying to communicate not just through language, voice flexion, right? Mm-hmm. Command presence, so to speak, you know, how how they address people and being soft, having those soft skills. I learned a lot of soft skills from my mom. So that that really worked well for me when I hit the streets. Didn't know it that I was exampling that as well. But mm-hmm. then to try to get to the point of of interviewing different people, whether it be, you know, you're on the scene of an accident, a mm-hmm. car accident, or if you're trying to, to identify if a crime has been committed. So all these different ways to address people. Um, I think we have the ability, um, I think people limit themselves when they go out there and talk to people. They think, I think they overthink it, bottom line. Speak into the, uh, the people skills that you learned and leveraged and in, in how important that was in your journey as uh, on the police force, because you're you're highlighting a little bit of that last night, whether it's in the prison system or whether it was on the street as a detective uh, investigator, but it, you know because it seems like there's also parallels to how important. I mean, people skills are everything, right? They say business is relationships, and you've been able to take I think a lot of that uh, insight and experience that you have learned and leveraged as a law enforcement officer also into the business world. Can you share some of those things that you've learned and the parallels that you see between your police work and also as an entrepreneur? Because you're an entrepreneur as well. Absolutely. It's interesting because younger the, the 
early time in my career, you know, you would try things to try to get elicit a response because you wanted people to comply. So when I worked in the jails, you know, that's, that was my first exposure working in the criminal element at a concentrated level. So mm-hmm. we're, we're working around criminals that are classified as there's some of them are deemed, you know, early, you know, new kind of criminal type of mindsets. Mm-hmm. And then there's the ones that are very, um, senior cr- criminals that are coming, you're coming into their environments because mm-hmm. they're in jail and they're, you know, they're waiting their trials and, and what their next steps are in the dress, in the justice system. And you're around them and you're talking to them and you're learning, you're learning from them how they manipulate, mm-hmm. how they talk to you and the things that they want. And so, cause you're their only, um, one of the only lines of communication for things that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you learn early on who's using you, their type of verbiage, how their actions are. So what you get it? a really good, good education working in the, uh, the system there on the concentrated levels of the criminal element, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, you know, everything from people that were cr- career criminals that were, that were robbers, mm-hmm. um, you know, burglars, you name it. Um, you know, uh, what's a typical manipulation they're trying to pull on a, an officer in a, in a correctional facility. Oh gosh. Getting stuff, yeah. you know, uh, you know, having their family, hey, my, my cousin's going to bring something for me on visiting day. Do you mind bringing it back to me? That's a huge no-no, right? Mm-hmm. Because what are they going to do? They're going to yeah. conceal something in there that's illegal, and, mm-hmm. and it's been proven time and time. I mean, you learn that early on, but sometimes they want to see if you're going to do it. They're right. testing, they're testing your, your, mental, your mental capacity, but also, you know, will you, will you fall prey to their So the first schemes? one may, may be innocuous, right? It may be just like, oh, it's a comb or it's a box of tissues or something. There's nothing. They just want to see if, okay, can I get this guy Absolutely. to do what I need him to do? Because I know then down the line I'll get him to do something else. Yeah, so it's, it ha- there's a lot of, um, you know, reverse psychology that goes on there. There's a lot of, they build relationships in there and sometimes try to in, influence their, uh, their personality over yours. Mm-hmm. So you learn that early on. And it really worked well for me when I, when I transitioned out of working in the jail system onto the street, mm-hmm. because then I got to see their methods of operations and how their mindsets were about, you know, their, their type of style of criminal element, because everybody has a style, you know, some use it for, you know, mm-hmm. building relationships to, for building business mm-hmm. and some use it for building relationships to execute their criminal element. So it's, it was interesting to see that and experience that. And so, that became that became a kind of a uh, something that I could use to go ahead and further how to um, you know protect those people on the street when I got on the street and to see what was what they were doing and how they were doing it and kind of having an idea. Okay, I think I know who that person might be, or that I remember listening to their conversations in jail because that's what they do. They talk. They talk. So it's quite interesting. So, you know, you have a really interesting career right now as you've transitioned out of full-time law enforcement in San Francisco. And uh, you are, I guess, protective, uh, protective service, bodyguard. You know, I won't go into all the details, but for, for, for our listeners, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, home to some of the wealthiest and most prominent business tycoons of our generation so i'll just let you think about who some of those people may be and those are the types of people that mark is interfacing with on a fairly regular basis and protecting and serving Uh, so i won't ask you to disclose uh, confidential information which you can't do but i've heard some stories of the folks that you're working with and protecting and uh tell me about your transition from full-time law enforcement into this new career as an entrepreneur serving in that capacity what are some of the things maybe 
um, that you're learning or that you're seeing as you serve these high net worth individuals, very prominent business leaders? I mean, we were uh, talking a little bit about it last night. Uh, just tease out, what, what are some of the things that you see and how they organize and live their life or the things that they're doing that enable them to be successful that maybe a young entrepreneur, a new entrepreneur could be putting in place in their life today? That's a great question. You know, one of the things right away that as you're asking me that question that, that stuck out to me is that their ability to stay focused, their ability to look at these opportunities, because a lot of times things don't go their way. And they've learned to have that emotional control and, and think, think things through before making a response. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll be, I'll be in a car, I'll either drive them with them or as a support element in the car. And, uh, you know, something doesn't go well or go their way. And they think about, okay, so what are the options, you know, and, and they're trying to, they're trying to identify and, and problem solve. They do a really good job of problem solving, thinking about different things, and then they'll reach out to maybe some some of their their co their you know co partners and kind of get a good gauge on what the next step should be. But I never really see them get frazzled, and I think it's because they've we talk about the inoculation. They've mm -hmm. done this so much, and they've they failed early on. I mean, a lot of them, they and they still fail. But there's a process that they recognize as an opportunity when these things happen not to give up the ship, but to go, okay, what can we do next to fix, to write this, to make this, you know, work in a situation where some people might not see that and then go throw their hands up and go, this isn't working. I'm out. No, they don't do that because they have millions and millions of dollars on the table. Hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, it's interesting to be around that, but it also helps me, uh, appreciate, you know, what we're doing here, um, knowing we're in the right place at the right time um, with what we're doing. I'm seeing such a big correlation. Um, I just had the experience of, of being at a big conference at Moscone Center where this was, you know, all these high-tech uh, companies and security clouds and all this stuff that I didn't understand initially. And then I was learning all this stuff on the fly. And then I'm looking at what we're doing here in Bonvera going, wow, this is that is what they're doing and they're seeing a vision of where they're going with this and then the correlation of what we're doing in Bonvera and where we're going here it's like holy moly like this like they have they have no idea that we exist yet but when we cross connect boy it's going to be huge it's going to be a world impact awesome yeah well i want to pivot back to your wife and i want to ask raquel tell me a little bit about you being the top saleswoman in los angeles for hair for bald guys i just i, I just i, I just I, I still kind of I, I can't go I, tell me how did you fall into this line of work and you know what, what did you learn i mean because and at one point you're at if, if memory serves me correctly you were living in san francisco you're working in la and you're like you know what? i can't continue to make this commute and you told them you're going to quit and you're like no we'll do whatever we have to do so that you can still be down here and, and, and continue to sell for us. Tell, tell us a little bit about why did, did you enjoy that job and what did you learn from that experience? So actually, um, when I left Los Angeles and I came up to the Bay Area to be with Mark, um, I left the staffing industry at that point. And 
I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, and there was a position available for a, a medical consultant. I wasn't sure what that all meant. I didn't know who it was for. It just looked like it's sales. I can do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I go and apply for the position, and I find out what it's for. And I'm like, hmm, well, this is a little different. Um, but I went for it. That's just kind of my personality. The pay looked well, you know, looked good. And I thought, I, yeah, I could do this. Okay. So originally I started in San Jose with this, with the company and it was a full-time position. And, uh, my daughter at the time was very little. So I, um, I started, <laughs> selling a lot of hair <laughs> and and it was really funny i mean this was hair club for men is that, that, is that yes I yes okay. um and how do you sell hair out of curiosity <laughs> what, what do you do some some guy comes in he's bald and, you, and you're like hey i can put hair on your head is it a cream i mean t- what no it's a it's a surgery okay so so they actually remove um a piece from the back of the guy's head and then they they use those follicles. They sew them up in the back, and then they use those hair follicles and implant them on top. Okay. So it's an actual medical procedure. Okay. Um, so I st- um, learned very quickly. You know, sales is 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 fun for me, and it really is just relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and so problem I, solving. Problem solving. I mean, these guys come in. They want hair. Okay. They want hair, and they don't want to feel humiliated or embarrassed. And so it. I had a way of um, just talking to these guys, being very honest with him. One thing I learned early on is just transparency. Mm. You know, I I don't feel like tiptoeing around any situation helps anyone. Doesn't help you. Doesn't help me. It's just how do I communicate that without being offensive? Right. And so I learned how to communicate, yet be very honest. And I um, would these guys would come in. I would just speak to them very matter of fact. Um, some guys would come in. I have to tell you this one story because I, I, to this day, I giggle at it. But you know how some guys will grow out just the front piece of their hair super long and comb it back, right? It's like a, it's a comb over. So this one gentleman comes in and he's sitting in front of me and he's got this many comb over going on. And he says, well, you know, Raquel, um, you know, I'm not doing too bad. Um, I, I, I think I'm okay. And I, I had a pen. Um, cause I would take notes mm-hmm. and I said, okay. And I just kind of looked at them and, you know, we would evaluate their scalp and tell them how much we thought they would need and so forth. I said, you mind if I take a look? And I, I got up and I had the pen in my hand. I was so bad. <laughs> and I took, <laughs> I took the pen and I literally placed it right under the hair and I flipped it. <laughs> and all this hair comes flying forward. He's just completely bald. <laughs> yes. Like, and I said, and I could, the poor guy, and I was like, actually. <laughs> yeah, let's, let, let's, <laughs> let's reevaluate this. <laughs> and I, I very calmly um, told him my observation of the situation and he ended up buying a full pop surgery from me <laughs> that day. <laughs> So. Oh, that's great! Was well, it interesting? New new information. Be like, let's reevaluate this. So here's, yeah, I'm the expert. I'll tell you if you're doing well or not. Uh, you're not doing so great. Yeah, exactly. I poor guy. I blew his world, but hopefully he was happy with his surgery. I'm sure he was. So what did what did you learn? Uh, you know, out of that experience, but it sounds like transparency, just being matter of fact. I mean, you're dealing with that's a. Um, a, a situation where there's a, a level of maybe embarrassment or anxiety. Um, and it sounds like you just kind of naturally put people at ease. 
uh, we're just able to talk with them and walk them through the process and base, solve their problems, right? Yes. Um, they were coming there for a solution. And really, I just feel like that's what sales is. You help people find a solution for if they're interested in a service or a product or whatever it is for a specific reason. I really learned a lot. I learned um, how to be able to speak honestly to people in a very sensitive area because it was a sensitive area for them. These are guys' egos, mm -hmm. which, you know, guys' egos are huge. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're nudging your husband neck right now. And, um, but in a way that I wasn't disrespecting them. Mm -hmm. I was coming from uh, a sincere place of, here, I can help you and let me show you how. And I just learned how to have those conversations. I was very real with people. I've always been very real with people. And I think that has been to my benefit in anything I've ever done, in any sales situation, is I just, I've learned to connect with people. Mm -hmm. I learned to just get real with them and not be fake or not just try to sell you. I just talk to you and I'm real with you. And, and it, it has worked for me. It has worked for me because I don't feel like I don't ever do anything that I think is going to hurt someone. Mm. If you're coming to me and there's something that you're wanting, then I'm going to, I'm going to help you accomplish that mm. no matter what field it's in, no matter what it is that we're doing. And I think people trust me mm -hmm. and that has served me. And so my reputation in terms of um, being honest is really big to me. Um, because I think if you ever lose that, you lose credibility. Mm -hmm. You know, pe people can sense a snake. They can, mm -hmm. they can sense when you're trying to get something from them. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't, I learn not to operate that way. I, I learn to just connect with people. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's the key. What's, what you're highlighting something that I appreciate in a sales environment. It, I think that one of the reasons why uh, a lot of times sales roles can sometimes be seen uh, negative is because people have had that experience with that sales rep for XYZ company that, you know, it, it's the hardcore pressure sale. And you like you walk into a showroom somewhere or you walk in a place of business and you know, you're being sold. They've got the script they're running through. It's pressure, pressure, pressure. And you're just like, you're not talking to me like a real human being. You're not trying to solve any problems. Uh, I remember one uh, one time I was uh, the last car I was purchasing. I had walked into a a showroom and I was looking at a particular vehicle, and the representative called me back. It was at the end of the month, and his sales pitch to me was, "Bob, I really need you to come in this. I mean, this was like eight o'clock at night. They're about ready to close. I really need you to come in. Will you come in and buy that car? I'm trying to hit my quota." I'm, and I like, wow. and I really need to hit this quarter this month. I know you're, I know you're on the you know, verge of purchasing this vehicle. Come on in, and we'll we'll, get, we'll we'll work out a deal. But I need to hit my quote. I'm thinking to myself, this guy is an absolute idiot. Yeah, he's 100 all about him. I, I made sure number one not to buy the vehicle from him, and also not to buy the vehicle from that dealership. I was like, I will not do business because it was all about him, mm -hmm. right? But we've all had those types of experiences where we just you you and where you have a negative experience with someone who's trying to sell you and what I sense from you and your career, whether the various different backgrounds of companies that you've been working with is that you have a, a very genuine uh, approach to people. It's relationship first, it's trust, it's transparency. All these keywords that you're referencing are the things that I look for when I'm, whether I'm going in with my wife to buy furniture, whether I'm going to go get a vehicle, I want 
someone to treat me like a human being and to have a relationship with me and to ask some probing questions and well, what, 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 what are you looking for? How can I solve? Because you're right. I, I have a problem. I'm looking for a solution. That's right. And I just want someone to treat me like a human being. Let's, let's have a conversation. But I hate it when someone's got this like rote script and you can just tell that they're going down this you know bullet point list and be like, you try to force me into what they want. Right. So and how... What advice would you give then for the uh, a entrepreneur who's making the leap for the very first time? Maybe someone like you, like yourself, way back in the day. Remember, you said that you were wanting to get out of that traditional nine to five job. You wanted to have some flexibility. You wanted to have a, a different income opportunities. So, someone who's listening to the podcast about ready to make that leap, and you're twenty years ahead of them having multiple entrepreneurial experiences, you've mentioned a couple of key things, trust, transparency, being genuine, having a real relationship, understanding what a person's problems are, what type of solution you're looking for. What, uh, what else? Are there, what other key things that you would want to mention to this young, let, let's, let's pretend you're mentoring yourself back there at the age of 23, 24. What would you tell the 23, 24 year old you to encourage you on that journey. Here's a here's a tip that you absolutely need to know. I would probably tell myself to not shy away from what feels uncomfortable because I feel like the more uncomfortable the situation as in the case where I was asked to present and I felt mm-hmm. I was totally not ready um, and I was very uncomfortable, but it was one of the best learning experiences for me. So as opportunities arise, I would say, don't shy away from what scares you. Mm -hmm. I often tell my daughter and and our children, um, you need to lean into the things that make you uncomfortable because the biggest growth comes from those situations. So So I, and and I would also say, learn to listen. I think a lot of times um, what salespeople tend to do is they want to rattle and they want to talk way too much and no one likes to feel like they're being sold. You need to learn to listen. I would tell myself, learn to listen Mm. uh, and um, really hear what the other person is saying so that when you open your mouth, you are speaking to them. You're not speaking to your agenda. Oh, that is gold. Absolute gold. Can I ask you guys a couple of rapid fire questions? Sure. All right. What, What books are you currently reading at the moment? Or a book that it, 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 that you've read recently that's really impacting your life? You know, right now I am devouring um, books on health. That's mm-hmm. kind of been my thing currently just because of some of the, my own health challenges and mm-hmm. things that I have dealt with. I'm learning about energy in the body, which I think is extremely fascinating and how energy works. Oh, wow. um, and The Power of the Subconscious Mind, which is a book that I just read that I think is phenomenal. So I'm, I'm really learning how, how the body and the mind interact and how our subconscious and our thoughts, negative thoughts, um, mm-hmm. worry, fear. You know, the Bible, there's, there's, there's a scripture that says, think upon these things that are good and true and pure. And I never understood the why to that. And I'm learning the why to that because every thought carries an energetic frequency and that energy then impacts every organ in our body. And I'm super fascinated by this and learning the, the balance between how we think. It also says, as a man thinks, so is he, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, that is not just some cute little fable. That is 
as we think, so are we. And our body is at literally a product of our thoughts and emotions that we carry. And so I am really diving into this information and learning and applying it in my life and really seeing some awesome changes right now. So that's that's kind of my, my thing right now. That is really interesting. So it's not just a, 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 a neat saying, but there's science behind it. Yes. That it, and that, is, that is awesome. So, so learning these scriptures mm-hmm. early on and mm-hmm. then now learning the science behind, behind it, it yeah. is blowing my mind. Like being able to connect yeah. the two mm-hmm. and see... Um, how literally our thoughts and our words and our emotions impact our health and every organ in us mm-hmm. has been fascinating. We're going to need to have you back on the podcast as you do some more of that research and study and <laughs> that we can kind of tease all that out because we could have a, an entire show just on just on that. Um, what are some of your pet peeves? Wow, some of my pet peeves. It's a hard pivot. <laughs> yeah, sorry. that really is. Uh, I can answer that for her. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I want to I know some of your pet peeves, too. You know, I um, some of my pet peeves. Whew. I think I, I guess I, I have a lot of things that really bother me. I, I think one of my, my, my pet, I was just going to say that. I think one of my pet peeves are um, people that aren't genuine, mm-hmm. that are so insecure that the only way they feel better about themselves is to put you down mm-hmm. or to speak poorly about you. I know where it comes from. I've done enough mm-hmm. reading to know that's just a broken person, mm-hmm. but um, I still have a hard time with it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I need to grow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to grow because I do take things personally sometimes when people just, I have some people currently in my life like that. And and I think sometimes God puts people in our lives because it's just another area of growth that mm-hmm. we need to attend to. Um, and I'm learning how not to take things so personally and recognize when when someone is just in fact hurt or broken themselves mm-hmm. and and think loving thoughts towards that person instead of taking it on and and um and thinking not so nice thoughts yeah. <laughs> as you were just saying earlier right your, your thoughts that have a dictate right. so much that's right mark how about you police officer pet peeves people driving in the slow lane <laughs> yeah yes. absolutely i think one of my biggest pet peeves is um you know people not following through what they said they were going to do, mm-hmm. you know, and I, like I said, I'm not perfect at that, mm-hmm. but when we make a commitment to one another or we say we're going to be somewhere at a certain time or whatever it is that we're participating in, mm-hmm. right, we haven't, you know, there's something that we want to accomplish together or something that we need to, to get together to do and we, we agree on a time and a place or whatever the mission is and we're going to meet there and then either something pops up again and I get that, right. but at the same time, hey, this was something that's very important. We need to follow through on this, you know, and um, yeah, lack of follow through. Well, it's that military one. bearing that has yeah. been drilled into me and you, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's hard to break. Now, granted, there are things that things happen. Life happens all the time, you know. But to stay, you know, one of the things that we, you know, we've been trained about is like, you know, have a plan, but stay flexible in the plan because yeah. guess what? The plan will change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing that I, you know, a lot of takeaways I learned from. I, I like to stay open to learn from other people. I mm. think that's one of the biggest things I think people can benefit from if they take the time you know, to seek and understand other people and listen, like my wife just mentioned, mm-hmm. listen, and then there's probably something that you can learn. We can learn from everybody, you For know? Sure. So. Speaking of learning, what books are you reading? Oh, man. Um, one of the books I shared last night at the RTE, you know, Attitude is Everything, mm-hmm. Jeff Keller. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was a, this is, I hadn't read that book in a long time. And uh, going through it again at this point, 
in uh, my career and my life and what we're doing as entrepreneurs. I think it's a, a big eye opener of awareness for individuals to dig into, to see again, because that, that is, that is the mission. That's the journey is to, to see how you personally tick and to see how you can bring out the best in you by identifying who you are. I mean, that's really the journey and the goal. So that book does a good job of through his experience, mm-hmm. you know, and what he's, what he's gone through and, and kind of identified different areas that you can work on and be being consistent. Right. Because mm-hmm. as we walk through this journey, there's, there's much more. So that's one book. And then I have a, um, another book that I'm, I'm looking at in our, in my industry too, of, um, as I participate in executive protection and, mm-hmm. and working with high net worth individuals and how their lives are, are structured and kind of just how do I provide more solution, bring value to the teams as mm-hmm. I start to jump on board with these guys. You know, I've done, I've done all these different one-offs for, you know, all these dignitaries from around the world. They mm-hmm. come in and I have the opportunity to work around them. So I, this is my opportunity to learn and then provide value to be on their mm-hmm. team and what, yeah. what, what I can learn. Um, so that's been very fascinating. So I, I, I like to read a lot about the guys I come across. So oh, yeah, I bet. these, these guys that I I'm working with and you know, what makes them tick? Well, who are they? And then the ones that have the books that they've written, you know, mm-hmm. there's one particular individual that I think it's going to go, you know, I think it's going to be a really good um, parallel to where we're going. Mm-hmm. And this gentleman um, has been 40 years in the tech world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's now the, you know, he was uh, CEO of 2019 and, you know, he's doing big things and he's a, you know, a Christian devout man. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's, making things happen. And I want to learn more about him and what makes him tick and, you know, really learn from the the challenges that he's had, because I think that's like, that's where the opportunity to grow lies, you know, and, you know, we talked about failing forward and, you know, those types of things. I think those are the books that I'm attracted to now. And there's other, there are some other books that, um, that I'm looking at as far as on the spiritual side too. So I kind of look at it as a three prong event, you know, things that are current that I need to know now. And, and I ask, Mm -hmm. you know, like I shared last night about things that I I'm about to read or, or, you know, things that I feel that are going to be, that I'm attracted to so I can be in the right place at the right time, kind of developing myself with those staying open. What's as a police officer, what's your favorite concealed carry weapon? Oh, that's a good one. You know, the industry standard today, and I ask a lot of guys what they carry the industry standard right now, you know, for those that, you know, there's, and everybody has their personal, choice or favorite weapon. So the Glock 19, because it's concealed, very concealable. Um, but I have everybody from, you know, a nine millimeter, it's a nine millimeter. Yeah. So it's a nine millimeter. It's a very compact, you know, and that's, that's really what we look at in, in the concealment world. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's everything from the, the new SIG 320 and everything, you know, anybody can, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody has their own favorite, you know, whether it be a Kimber or a Browning. That's what I carry. I carry a Kimber ultra carry 45. There you go. But it's big and bulky. So during the summertime, it's hard for me to kind of somewhat conceal it. And it is a little bit heavier, but I'll tell you the, the, the one I absolutely love. I, I'll put, I can put it in my back pocket. Looks like a wallet. Is my Sig? It's a three eighty. Sixty five. It's the the, the three eighty. Okay. What is it? Uh, the, I'm not. I forget the number on it, but it's a Sig, and it, the the caliber is a three eighty. Mm-hmm. And it, man, it's tiny. I can put it in the front pocket, back yep. pocket, everywhere I go. I've got yeah. it. I just I love it. So yeah, I, I continue to train. There's a, there's a company that I work uh, around, and I continue to have continuous training mm-hmm. in that field too. So I I work with these guys, and they talk about mindset. We we talk about you know how we carry concealed and the mindset of that, and mm-hmm. you know if we had to respond, what are the what are the things that we're looking mm-hmm. for in order to perform properly, so that way we all come out safe. And you know having you know staying on that 
staying in that, uh, you know, getting trigger time so that way we can stay proficient in our field and, and not be lackadaisical because, you know, that's, that's one of the things, you know, that I always tell my guys, you know, if you, if you stay ready, then you don't have to get ready. That's right. You know, and so I think that translates over into business too, you know, as, as we start to develop our mindsets behind, you know, the next project, the next goal and what we're doing is if we, if we map, map out, map out a strategy, mm-hmm. you know, and stay flexible there, you know, we, and, and like you guys mentioned earlier, getting that mentorship that wise counsel around it so that way we can you know be more focused and get to where we want to go together no matter what career field that i have studied or uh witnessed someone who has been extremely successful i don't think that i in my career i've come across anyone military law enforcement business medical you name the career field that has been has risen to the top of that career field where they have not had a plethora of coaches and mentors who have helped them along the way. I think this whole uh, mythology of this American self-made man or self-made woman, you know, they kind of do it all by themselves, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. I mean, it's just a complete and total myth. And Raquel, so you highlighted that about how important that early uh, mentor and coach was for you and it kind of a, a springboard. And, you know, Mark, I know that you and I've talked, and you've talked about the, the, the folks in your life who have been mentors, but I, that's one of the things that I would encourage folks any no matter what you're trying to do to be successful find somebody who is 5 10 15 years ahead of you who has fruit on the tree who's been successful seek guidance and counsel from them right and we were talking yep. earlier in the in, in the in the show about not taking guidance from people who you know don't have the results that you want i mean they they might they're they're trying to help you well they're trying to well intentioned right. it's well intentioned advice but you know um, I'm not gonna ask my uh, my my pastor uh, about uh, you know if I have some type of heart condition or medical condition. Hey, very, my pastor's probably a great guy, loves me, right? Yeah. But he's not an expert in you know open heart surgery. If that's what I'm, you know, so you got to right. go to the right source to get the uh, t- the right mentorship, the right coaching. So I'm glad you you, you highlighted that once again. What's um, an exotic place and some place on your bucket list. We were, again, we were talking about this a little bit last night of all the, the places that we want to go and some of the epic trips that we want to do. But what's what's on your bucket list as a couple of something something that you'd like to do, an exotic location to go visit? You know, I, I was kind of doing a little bit of research on uh, some people and, I, and they were in Thailand and, and they were in Phuket. And I was like, huh, that looks like a good place to be. You know, it's somewhere obviously tropical, warm and just, you can connect from all of the the craziness that you know we have around you know in our in our daily lives from mm-hmm. electronics and you know the hustle bus of the daily grind so to speak. So I'd, I'd like to check that out. You know I think uh, you know I know my wife has some stuff on her list. I know I want to take her to Europe again for sure. We talked about that last night as well. I think that would be fun. There's so many places I'd like to visit, but I I have Europe and Spain and Italy on oh. definitely on my brain. That has. Um, I've wanted to go there for a very long time. So, and I don't just want to go for a week, like, you know, at least a month. (laughs) I want to go. (laughs) I want to walk away knowing it. (laughs) But Thailand, we've seen some beautiful um, beaches. Mm -hmm. There's a place where I want want to say, um, I don't know if it was the, the, I just I'm having a I'm having a, a brain moment here, but it was beautiful with with the huts on the water. And you and I were talking about it. Like literally out on the water oh, where yeah. these little yeah. Bora, where these, Bora, has, Bora Bora, that's yeah. what Bora, it is. Bora has spots like that. Yeah. So yeah, you know, we want to just take that adventure together. I think, you know, f- 
one of the things we talked about last night too is like you know being able to get away but being around people that you know you connect with you oh, know and sure. you know like 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 at dinners and and gatherings it's like it's it's really nice it's it's not just the food and the ambiance but it's also the company you know and um those Although experiences. I don't want to take a trip like that with a bunch of company, I'm cool with with my oh, husband absolutely. and my, yeah. <laughs> no, we have, my yeah. kids. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, no. I want to take advantage of quiet time together with my wife. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's this is this journey was meant to create these type of memories. Mm-hmm. We talked about that as well, and so the more memories, you know, the more uh, we get to expand. Right. Is really how it works. I'm the same way. I love traveling with my wife or my kids where I can experience that with them. And there's, there's, there's nothing that compares to that. That's the, yes. the apex for me. Right. But, you know, moving on down, if I had an opportunity to go experience some incredible place on the globe um, and I was by myself, mm. I don't get near the enjoyment if I'm by myself as when I'm with a group of friends that, you know, where we're enjoying it together. And you did, as you said, it whether it's the food, it's the culture, it's the diversity, it's the exploring something, doing something new for the very first time with people that you love and you care about. There's just something extra about that experience, and I, you know. So I, I I love being able to travel with friends, and it was it was great being able to kind of do some dream building with you guys last night and talk about the places that we want to go see and the things that we want to do. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, as we close up, any productivity hacks that you guys have that you use on a, on a daily basis or things that you, you find to be helpful for you as a, in your entrepreneurial journey? For me, what I have learned is the, the most important thing is that I start my day right. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people I think don't understand this concept, but I have learned that if I just jump out of bed and dive into my day, I have more things go wrong mm-hmm. that um, I feel out of control. But when I start my day and uh, with some quiet time and um, do some praying and meditation and just center myself and kind of see my day, I think it's important to see your day and, and, and how you want it to roll out and then just get some quiet time and, and allow, you know, allow yourself to be led. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what I believe. And, and when I do that, my day is so much better. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of productivity, sometimes we want to force the issue Mm -hmm. instead of doing what I call um, inspired action. I think inspired action is always going to be much more productive than anything we, we force and so, or or reactive. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, I got to start my day, right. When I start my day, right. Everything flows better. Mm -hmm. When I just get up and I'm, it's like, I got to go, got to go kind of attitude. And I got to go this, I feel like I'm forcing my day and it it never tends to go right. Mm. That's great insight. Yeah, for me, uh, in in addition to what she just shared, you know, I, I always like to pre-plan my day, but but have a mindset that, and I, I get excited about my next days because I know I'm going to be able to do something that's different than the day that just happened. So I have an expectancy, number one, of there's going to be something that I'm going to be participating in because I know my agenda. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to be doing, but there's going to be some excitement along the way. Um, and had that expectancy of that excitement, but just know that no matter what happens, right? We talked about the two things that we can control, mm-hmm. our attitude and our effort, right? Love that. And so as we move through the agenda of our day, if we pre-plan that and we have all these things like I do too, before I my feet hit the carpet, I'm in prayer and meditation mm-hmm. before my feet hit the carpet because I know, you know, to have thankfulness and gratitude on my mind and in my being before 
before I get up. So then that way I know I'm doing the right things for the right reasons. And then as I move through the points of interest throughout the day, you know, if things don't go well or I got to push this meeting back or I'm getting this new client or whatever's happening, you know what? It's okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it through there. I'm controlling my attitude, right? I'm, I'm being disciplined enough to know that, you know what, this, this, is, gonna, this is happening for a reason. Mm-hmm. I'm excited and we don't know what this journey is going to look like meeting these new people or whatever, if I have to augment or whatever that looks like. But yeah, just, just staying prepared and just having fun with it and staying open. Yeah. Enjoying the journey. Well, they've, they've, they've taught you well over your years of law enforcement and police work to be prepared. Yeah, I know you're prepared for, for everything. And, as, you know, uh, Raquel, one of the things that I really appreciate about you is any time we talk, it, it is just it's obvious that you live your life with intentional design and that you spend a great deal of time in introspection. There's a lot of people I think that you know live life and they don't take the time to like kind of like dig deep beneath the layers and and analyze deeply their life. And I, you strike me as a woman who is constantly in deep thought and introspection of you know self improvement and getting better and helping others. Um, it's just a great quality about you, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're a powerful communicator and just a great mentor and coach for folks in your life. I just want to say thank you both for being on uh, this podcast. Uh, I've had a wonderful time uh, chatting with you today and asking you questions. I've learned a ton, and I know that our audience is going to really enjoy all the nuggets of wisdom that have been teased out and we're going to put a whole bunch of stuff the books that we've rec- uh, recommended and that you guys have been talking about that'll be in the show notes but uh, as we sign off here do you have any parting words uh, for, for the audience before we depart you know what i i would just say um live your best life we don't know how long we're here for mm-hmm. yep. and life is way too short for us to settle for a life that we don't want mm-hmm. and the only way to live your best life is to take the time to invest in yourself which means to invest in your thinking and to spend time thinking, like you said, right? We want to be able to live life and not allow life to live us. And that's been one of the greatest lessons that I've learned. Wow. Well said. Yeah. I would, I would also say, you know, if there's things that, that you're holding back to do, you know, don't wait, go for it, you know, take the leap, you know, go after what you want because you never know what's on the other side of that uncomfortableness feeling like Raquel talked about earlier. Cause that's one of the things that, you know, we've, we've taught and, you know, in the military and in the law enforcement is like, you know, it, no risk, no reward. And so, you know, we hear it, we see it and we read it, but you know what you have to experience. And if that's uncomfortable for you, then you got to see what's on the other side because that's where your growth lies and there's an opportunity there. So every day is an opportunity guys. That's the goal. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us and uh, for our audience listening in today on this episode of The Leap. I know that you have taken some great notes and had some incredible nuggets of wisdom shared with you. Uh, If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd ask that you would share it with friends and family. Uh, Definitely check out the, the, the show notes. If you've got somebody that you would like us to interview in the near future, don't hesitate to send an email to our staff and we will work that person into the schedule if we can. Until next time, live your best life, as Raquel has just said. Um, Be bold, take those leaps, enjoy the journey, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Taking the Leap podcast with your host, Bob Dickey. 
You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.takingtheleappodcast.com and bonvera.rocks. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Taking the Leap.